Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Episode 28 of the Bowery Boys, New Year's Eve at One Times Square. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. It's just me this week. And for our last podcast of the year, I am featuring probably, to admit, the least enigmatic building we've discussed on our podcast, One Times Square. Although, at the time, this was one of New York City's tallest buildings. It certainly was not considered great, especially anymore, at least in terms of architecture. One Times Square was not designed by a particularly famous architect, and it didn't really even serve its original purpose for more than a handful of years. Actually, it's not really even that famous for what's been in it at all, but rather what's been on it. You could say that it's Times Square's original dispenser of gossip and it started the area's development into that dizzying world of mass information, stock quotes, commercials, and uh, news headlines that currently fill up Times Square. And for a few hours every year on December 31st, it becomes the most watched building in the entire world. So let's give it a little respect, shall we? It's that 25-story building in the middle of one of the busiest intersections in the city, one Times Square. One Times Square is the address of that very conspicuous building, sitting on 42nd Street between Broadway and 7th Avenue. In fact, if the building were removed, Times Square would actually be this open-ended plaza that would extend from 42nd Street all the way up to 47th Street. Before one Times Square, the area was called Longacre Square. After a neighborhood in London, at the time it was created, the area served many horse and carriage industries, just as the London area did, thus the name. Now, our dear old friend, John Jacob Astor, owned most of this land and leased it to a variety of tenants, and thus assuring, of course, its reputation as slumland, and would play host, of course, to one of the city's more colorful red light districts. Now, this is all in the 19th century. The neighborhood's fate would begin to improve when Oscar Hammerstein, that would be the daddy of famous Broadway lyricist Hammerstein too, decided to build a theater complex called the Olympia along 42nd Street, opening in 1895. And then this would, of course, cement the area as a future center for New York City theater. There was also some eager anticipation for the new subway system, the first line of which would be completed in 1904, 
And then when terminate just a couple blocks away at the Grand Central Depot. So basically, by the end of the 19th century, this was really a turning point for Long Acre Square into becoming like a thriving populated district. So, of course, all this excitement would attract another major figure. His name was Adolf Ox. Um, owner of the New York Times. He had just gotten the job in 1896 and would remain one of its uh, most influential publishers. Of course, his family still is in control of the paper. Uh, he would have the job all the way to 1935. The original offices of the New York Times were on 41 Park Row, down by City Hall, where all the newspapers were at in the mid-19th century. The Tribune, the World, but the the newspapers were quickly growing out of their homes there. Two other major newspapers, the Herald and the Tribune, had already made the trek up from the Park Row area. They would settle at the intersection of 34th and Broadway. By the start of the new century, Adolf Fox, of course, also had his eye of moving uptown, expanding his publication, and, of course, would need a big, dramatic new building and a new section of town like they did back then. But where would he put it? So his eye fell on the intersection of 42nd and Broadway, envisioning it would be a major thoroughfare. And, of course, being very wealthy, he ended up buying the land. One problem, there was already a building there. In fact, it had just been built. The Pabst Building, a modern steel skyscraper, as they called them back then, all of nine stories, built in 1898. Now, I'm quoting this particular factoid from the New York Times itself, but they claim that this was the very first removal of a modern skyscraper in history. Take that for what it is. The construction firm that they hired to dismantle the building was the Chicago-based George A. Fuller. Does that sound familiar? They had just gotten done putting the finishing touches on another one of their buildings, the Flatiron Building, just down Broadway. So, like the Flatiron Building, one Times Square had to be triangular, based on the convergence of the streets. It had to fulfill, of course, these grandiose wishes of Ox, who wanted the premier office for his newspaper. And then right underneath the building, they were carving out land to build a subway line, and that would run right below it. So they hired these two architects by the name of Cyrus L.W. Eidlitz and Andrew C. McKenzie. Yes, of course, like everyone at the time, they slouted the whole building in the usual bow arts, pomp and frills. But the overall design actually ended up being particularly kind of Italian Renaissance in nature, giving you that feeling of standing in a Venetian piazza, except, of course, much taller and extremely out of proportion. It, you know, it wouldn't be as graceful as this little sister, the Flatiron, down the street. But at 25 stories, it did become the second tallest building in the world after the Park Row building at 15 Park Row. Incidentally, that was one of Ox and the New York Times' old neighbors. What's of greater significance, though, is that one Times Square was one of the first buildings ever designed for easy access to the subway that was being built below it. The building was officially christened in a kind of dramatic ceremony on January 14, 1904. However, the real important celebration of the building that year, as we'll see in a bit, was the one that they had at the end of 1904, and the first day of 1905, this gigantic display of fireworks, which must have looked pretty spectacular back then. I mean, could you even see any fireworks if they shot them off in Times Square today? At this time, they even decided to name the area Times Square to signify its uh, bright and exciting future, I guess, and get away from all that horse business. Ox would insist the name came from the director of the new subway line, of course, and that he had no influence over the name change. Sure, Adolf. So, Ox and the New York Times moved into the new offices, and all was right with the world, right? 
Well, Ox got restless, his paper got even bigger, and soon they needed new offices. They certainly couldn't leave a neighborhood that was just named after them, so in 1913, not even 10 years later, Ox moved them out of One Times Square and over to nearby 229 West 43rd Street, where the Times would stay all the way up to this year, 2007, when they finally moved to their offices over on 41st and 8th Avenue. Now, I didn't make as much hooey about the design of the building that I usually do in these podcasts because, well, basically it would become irrelevant. The New York Times still owned the building, and in 1928, they would slap something on it that would change the look of Times Square forever. An electronic news zipper, or as they called it, a motogram, a five-foot-high message board at the time using over 14,000 lamps, a scroll of information that snaked across the front of the building, outlining the day's headlines and breaking news. It announced the results of the 1928 election. Hoover won, by the way, though probably its most well-known breaking news headline was many years later with the surrender of Japan and the end of World War II. Times Square today, of course, is an overload of dozens of these things. And it was here at one Times Square. This was the very first one. And a version still hangs in the building today in the very same place, although now it's stock quotes from Dow Jones that wrap around it. This, of course, was a harbinger of things to come for the building. In 1961, the New York Times sold it to Allied Chemical, who then proceeded to strip away almost all of its little Beaux Arts finishes, replacing the terracotta with concrete, making it essentially a tall, big, boring box sitting in the middle of Times Square. There have been some notable tenants, of course, during around this time. A restaurant was opened up in the 60s on the 16th floor, which overlooked Times Square, but that closed in the 80s. When? by the way, cue the deja vu, the city thought of tearing the whole building down because of a mass condemning of buildings that was going on up and down the Times Square area. In the end, thank goodness they did let it stand. Some New Yorkers will remember a very memorable billboard of the Nissan Cup of Noodles soup that was attached to the top of the building in 1996 and lasted 10 years. They then moved it down the street somewhere. The, the Cup of Noodles would spew out hot steam to look like this big, delicious bowl of hot soup. Warner Brothers um, opened a merchandise store there for a few years in the 90s, selling Tweety Bird t-shirts and Batman alarm clocks. Then the strangest thing happened. Something that, if you consider the world of real estate in New York, is just downright odd. The new owners of the building, Sherwood Outdoor Inc., looked at how much it would cost to renovate for new tenants and decided to have none at all. One Times Square would become the world's largest bulletin board, or as the president of their company famously said, who needs pain-in-the-butt tenants when you've got the largest sign tower in the world? And at street level, there would still be some tenants, but the upper floors are all officially empty. Yet the billboards and the tickers and all the nonsense affixed to the side of it is still not the most famous aspect of One Times Square. That would be, of course, the famous New Year's Eve ball drop, which takes place every year on the roof of the building. That fireworks celebration I mentioned earlier, that one that took place in 1905, would be joined by the famous ball in 1907. This notion of, by the way, of dropping a gigantic ball down a flagpole was an English timekeeping tradition where a ball would drop atop a very tall building to allow ships in the harbor to set a particular time accurately. Now the New Year's Eve ball has been dropped atop one Times Square since 1907, 100 years, which is something considering one Times Square was the tallest building back then and is now basically the smallest building in Times Square 
pretty much. Uh, there were only two years where the ball didn't drop in 1942 and 1943 during World War II. Oh, there were still people gathered there to celebrate. Yes, of course, you, it's New Yorkers. But I guess they just did it more tastefully. There have been various New Year's Eve balls over the years. The first one was made of iron and wood with 100 light bulbs. In 1920, they tossed it and got an iron model. Then in 1955, they tossed that one and got an aluminum ball. During the 80s, they turned the ball into a big apple, a big red lit apple. Then they went back to aluminum and went all fancy in the 1990s with rhinestones and strobe lights. The last ball they had, the one since 2000, was like a self-contained disco itself, made of 504 triangular Waterford crystals that are lit by 168 crystal light bulbs outside and 432 Philips multicolored light bulbs inside. It was surrounded by 90 rotating pyramid mirrors. I imagine if you saw this thing close up, it would completely blow you off the roof of the building. However, they have now retired that ball. And for the 100th anniversary, coming right up, they have one in store that is going to be completely unbelievable. Still using water for crystal, of course, but they do claim it'll be twice as bright as the prior one. I'm assuming you'll be able to see it from space. It might even be from space. So... Thank God most of us will be completely drunk on champagne because I'm sure it'll be quite a sight. Anyway, here's a toast to you guys for listening to another podcast and all the support that we've been getting. Anyway, check out our website as well. That's BoweryBoysPodcast.com. We'll be updating it a little bit after New Year's Eve uh, on a hopefully daily basis. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. And Happy New Year's. <laughs>